Well, thank you, everyone. If you're so glad you're here. If you're watching online at your home through your mobile device, if you're watching at one of our locations or through one of our prison facilities with our partnership with God Behind Bars, just want to say thanks so much for being here with us this weekend. And if I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, my name's Nick. I've been on the central team, had the privilege of serving on the central team for the last 13 years. I'm married to my best friend, the rock of our family, my beautiful wife, Laura. Together we have three gorgeous little girls. Avery, Quinn, and the youngest there, Cosette. I am a girl dad. I'm very proud to be a girl dad. I'm excited to be with you guys this weekend. You know, and that's only possible because of the trust and the investment that our pastor, Pastor Judd, has had in me over the years. So many great team members here as well. But he, he's helped me be a better father, a better husband, a better leader, a better pastor. And when this pandemic hit our world, when it affected our different communities, Pastor Judd showed what it meant to lead through a crisis. He ran towards the problem, not away. He served at our food pantries every single week, just helping bring hope to people. He brought you a word every single weekend for the last five months, just a word of encouragement and hope. He prays for you often, and I, I know that you know he deserves this weekend off. He's getting this weekend, but let's still let him know with a big round of applause how much we love him, how much we appreciate our pastor. We love you, Pastor Judd. Well, I don't know about you, but this summer has looked a little bit differently than other summers have for me and my family. I think it's the shutdown. I think it's stuff being closed, things having uh, uh, capacity issues. We haven't gotten the kids out of the house as much as we normally do, as much as we would like to in the summer. And one thing that Laura and I don't want is we don't want our kids behind devices. We don't want them in front of a TV all day. We want them out and we want them active. And in Vegas, when it's 110 to 115 degrees outside, it's hard to get outside and get active. So what we told ourselves is we are going to get our kids to a pool, poolside as much as we can, help get them outside, stay cool by a pool. But my kids, they don't want to relax by a pool. Pool time should be relaxing. That's not what they want to do. They want to turn pool time into extreme water sports time. That means they'll take makeshift slides, they'll push them up to the pool like playground slides, come flying down off of them. Yes, that is as sketchy as it sounds. They'll do flips and backflips off the edge of the pool. Or their new favorite game is, how high can dad throw us for about an hour straight? So this is work. This is a workout for dad, I, I, but I do love it. I love it a lot. I especially love throwing my little daughter, Cosette, who is six going on 16, so very big in personality but just a tiny little thing that I can absolutely launch into the air so high. And every time she comes down in that water, I think this is the time. She's gonna come up upset with me. That one was a little too high. That one was too much of a belly flop. I, I should have had better form. But no, she comes up every single time with a huge smile on her face, trying to catch her breath. She goes, Daddy, I think you can go higher. She loves the thrill of being thrown in the air. She's just a thrill seeker. I have a feeling that I'm in trouble later on in life with Cosette. But thrill seeking hasn't always been a part of Cosette um, and her personality. It really started when she was about three. It was poolside. She come, came running out of the pool, ran up to the edge of the pool and got her little feet right on the edge and got down. She looked at me. She's shivering. Her lips are turning blue. It obviously wasn't summertime. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, I'm going to jump. I'm like, that's so brave, girl. Jump to me. I've got you. She's like, you promise you're going to catch me? I said, Cosette, I promise I'm going to catch you. Okay. 
But do you promise, promise you're going to catch me? Cosette, I promise, promise I'm going to catch you. So she got set again. But do you pinky promise you're going to catch me? I pinky promise I'm going to catch you. For those of you that don't know, a pinky promise to a six-year-old girl is the ultimate level of promise. Even bigger than promise, promise. Pinky promise is the real deal. So she knew I was in. So she got her feet on the edge, started to lean forward. But do you promise, Daddy? And I, yes, because this would go on for 20 times until finally she would jump. And when she jumped, I caught her. I caught her every single time. And I can remember that first time I caught her, I told her, Cosette, I promise that I will always catch you and I will always come through on my promise. Why? Because I want you to be able to trust my promise. I want you to know anytime I promise, you can trust me. And I promise that I will never let you fall. And you know, a similar promise was given to the Israelites while they found themselves in the wilderness. And over the last four weeks, we've been following the Israelites, God's chosen people, in their journey out of captivity towards the promised land. And, and just like Cosette, they would have to learn that the blessing of the promise, it wasn't going to come without the courage to first jump into the water. But before we jump in, let's do a quick recap of, of what's happened to the Israelites up to this point in the journey. This is a group of people that God has made a promise. To. He's delivering them out of slavery and into a promised land. And Moses goes to Pharaoh to ask for the release of the Israelites, and Pharaoh won't let them go. So God sends 10 plagues to get Pharaoh's attention, and Pharaoh finally gives in and releases the Israelites. But then at the last second, he changes his mind. He says, get them, go after them. So now they have an army chasing them, the Israelites who are now fleeing towards the Red Sea. They're trying to get away, and when they get to the Red Sea, they're blocked, they're doomed. The Israelites feel like they're going to be captured, like, 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 where's God in this moment? But Moses raises his staff to part the Red Sea, which allows the Israelites to make it safely to the other side. And while the Egyptians were in hot pursuit and in the middle of the Red Sea, God crashes it down on them, wiping them out. So now they're good, right? They're saved. They should be fine. Well, not really. Here's what they end up doing. They end up taking what should have been an 11-day march towards the promised land, and they turn it into a 40-year wonder in the wilderness. And over the last four weeks, we've uh, learned a lot about what God had taught the Israelites in the wilderness and things that we can learn from their example. So the very first week, we learned about lack of direction and that God will sometimes lead us the roundabout way, but whatever he will lead us to, he will lead us through. The next week, we learned about scarcity and all about um, how God will provide for our daily needs. We then learned about moments of crisis, but that God can take our turning point um, and our, God can take our breaking point and turn it into our turning point. In week four, we learned all about oversized opposition, that the Israelites came, uh, saw giants ahead of them, but that we are to tell our big problems about our big God. So here they are. So Moses, you know, they've learned all this. They're starting to obey God. They've been given the Ten Commandments in the wilderness. Things should start be getting better. But the people start complaining. Even after learning all this, they start whining. This upsets Moses. This makes Moses mad. This makes Moses angry. So he strikes a rock out of anger, bringing water from it. But it was in disobedience to God, disqualifying Moses to take the Israelites into the promised land. So now Moses goes up on a mountain, he dies, and God has a brand new leader, Joshua, that's going to take the Israelites into the promised land. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Here we are. Joshua and the Israelites find themselves at the Jordan River, blocking the way to them entering the promised land. 
Now, I want to make sure you hear me on this. This is not your ordinary river. This is not some river that they could just spend some time constructing a, constructing a bridge to get over or do a little engineering. This was the month of flood season, Jordan River. This is the two-mile-wide Jordan River. This is the 120-foot-deep Jordan River. This was an impassable obstacle that was going to take a miracle to cross. You know, I wonder... What is the river blocking you from God's promise in your own life right now? Maybe that impassable river you're up against is you're a parent and this next school year for your child's education has uncertainty. Or for some of us, maybe you lost your job and it's financial insecurity. Or maybe you're back to work, it's the exact opposite, but you feel that your safety is at risk at work. Or maybe you're alone and loneliness is your impassable river. I wanna encourage you. Each one of us have been out in the wilderness. Each one of us find ourselves time and time again out in the wilderness up against impassable obstacle after impassable obstacle. And if this is where you're at today, I want you to hear this from me. It's okay. It's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. We don't always find ourselves up against an impassable obstacle just because of something we've done wrong. The Israelites weren't blocked by the Jordan because of something they did wrong at this point. This was just an opportunity for God to use an impassable situation to remind them that he is the God of the impossible. He used the impassable situation to remind them he's the God of the impossible. And to walk through the impassable, it takes a God of the impossible. To walk through the impassable, it takes a God of the impossible. The question we have to ask ourselves is when we come up against the impassable in our own lives, how do we have wild faith that God will do the impossible? For Joshua, he gave him the answer right away. He gave his new leader, he set him up well. He gave him, he gave him a great word. It, we we're gonna pull up the verse here. First chapter of Joshua is where we're gonna find ourselves first. When we get to the red word, make sure to say it out loud with me. That's how we do it here at Central. It says, this is my command. Not this is my suggestion. Not this is what I would do, Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. I want you to remember those two things today. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, wherever you go. And remember, this is the most repeated promise that God reminds his people all throughout the Bible. God promises he will always be with us. So this brings us to the first way that we can have wild faith, which is to find strength in God's promise. We find strength in God's promise. You know, sometimes trusting a promise is the hardest part of a promise, right? Someone will give you a promise and you're thinking, well, I want to trust them, but how do I know that I can trust them? Just because they say I promise doesn't necessarily mean I can trust them. People break their promises all the time. This was true for Cosette. Not the fact that I broke the promise, but just she didn't know if she could trust the promise yet. She had never had me fulfill a promise in her life like this at three years old. Sure, she'd seen her sisters jump before, her sisters jump in the water and me catch them. She'd seen me make promises to her sister, but her personally, she had never experienced me truly fulfill a promise. So before she could believe the promise that I had her, that I would not drop her, that I would catch her, she had to first believe that I loved her that I loved her so much that I would not let anything happen to her. And once she, she trusted that, she found her strength in that, and she jumped and I caught her, and I consistently caught her every time keeping my promise, then my relationship with Cosette changed in a whole new way, which I'll talk about here in just a second. But the same was true for Joshua and the Israelites. They got to experience God's love and the fulfillment of his promise over and over all the way from the Red Sea to everything he did back in the wilderness, 
They had seen God do it, but not just what he did in the past, not, not just that, but he also made multiple promises before they even got to the Jordan River that he was going to be with them. Let's check out Joshua 3, 7 right here. It says, the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. I'm with you. He's making a second promise to Joshua that he's going to be there that he is with them. In fact, God gives instruction to Joshua to send the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God, a big gold box made of acacia wood that would have been heavy. He, made, he gave them instruction, go first, because this is the presence of God. What God was saying is not only am I with you, but I'm gonna go ahead of you. I'm gonna go first until I'm, I'm ahead of you, Joshua. So we can find our strength in that same promise. That same God of Joshua is the same God of us today. He never changes. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for some of you, you might be in the room or online and you don't even believe God loves you. And I want you to know that he does. He loves you. And every time we're standing at the edge trying to find the strength to jump in, just like Cosette, God's there telling us, I'm with you, I'm here, I've got you. But we get to the edge, we get our our feet over the corner just like her, and we go, yeah, but do you promise God? He's like, yes, in Genesis, I told you I will be with you and keep you wherever you go. Okay, okay. But do you promise, promise God? Yes, in Jeremiah, I told you, don't be afraid of anyone, for I'm with you. All right, God. But do you pinky promise? I pinky promise I told you in Acts, I will be with you, and no one will attack or hurt you. Okay, I think I can do it. But God, are you sure you promised? Child, I promise I told you in Hebrews that I will be with you at all times and just like a father trying to instill confidence, God promises again and again that he is with us so we can find our strength in God's promise. He's with us. The presence of an obstacle, the presence of an impassable river does not mean God has abandoned us. He's there. He's got us. But having wild faith is more than just believing, just more than just finding a belief in that promise. It's more than just finding strength in a promise. We have to jump into the impassable with courage. That's what faith is. That's our second step to, to wild courage, to wild faith. It's jumping in with courage. You know, I am a dad to a middle schooler now, which what that means is Avery is going into the sixth grade, my oldest, and I always thought, that as a dad to a youth, to a student, that I would be the cool dad. I just, as a younger dad, I'm like, I'm gonna be the cool dad. I'm gonna try to dress younger so I can be the cool dad. I'm gonna try to learn the vocabulary, the language. In fact, saying cool dad is not cool. Cool is not a cool word to say. Like, uh, I'm getting taught that. There's so many things that I need to pick up and learn in my vocabulary. But I learned a few phrases to help me out to be able to speak with the youth, if you will. So if you want to be able to talk to that younger generation, know what they're saying, I'm going to help you out uh, today. So let's throw these, these terms on the screen. The first term I'm going to teach you is John, okay? John, used to refer to a thing, place, person, or event that one need not or cannot give a specific name to. So any noun, okay, they use this for John. These Johns are fresh. That John up there is bright. These Johns back here, I don't know how to play those Johns. Uh, You just say John for everything. And some of you are looking at me like that's ridiculous. But here's the genius in it. As you're getting older, as words start escaping you, as you forget the name, all you have to do is say John and you're relevant and you don't even have to remember the word. So there you go. Here's... 
Here's a second one, no cap. Slang meaning no lie or for real, often used to emphasize someone is not exaggerating about something hard to believe. So this summer, it's hot out, no cap, no cap. Just you say that to me, no lie, for real. Okay, here we go. Next one, full send. An action where the consequences are not thought through. Even better if the cameras are rolling, you're doing a jump off of something, you're doing something big, they went full send. Here, let's pull up this 72-year-old, this video of this man going full send off a tree. He's become an internet sensation doing cliff jumping. He is full send. It's good to see even at 72 years old that you can still be full send. But earlier, I was talking about my daughter, Cosette, and how our relationship changed as I came through on my promise more and more as I was consistent. Cosette now, these days, will jump off of anything right to me. It doesn't matter. It could be anything elevated, bunk bed, truck bed, playground, uh, countertop. If she's on top, if she's elevated, I guarantee you she's going to try to jump to me. In fact, we had to do a rule change to our little jumping game. That rule change was Cosette needed to tell me that she was going to jump if she was going to jump. Because otherwise, I could be on the phone just walking through the kitchen. I could be on conversation. And Cosette would go full sin off of most things without me even looking. And I just had to have that dad save spidey sense. Just this overall, like us dads are equipped with this weird ability to just sense that our kid is in trouble, that they're falling, and, and just catch the last minute. In fact, um, this dad right here, he, here's an example of it. He's, on, he's not working. He's not on email. He's on his Bible app, and he can tell, he just senses something's going wrong right here. And look at this save. Come on, like a boss, that dad. It's just something we're equipped with. I don't know what it is. Thank you, God, for equipping us with it. But Cosette would just jump off things, and I'd have to sense it and just catch her in the air. But here's what I love about what, what the transformation in Cosette is that she went from a posture of hesitation to one of courage. From a posture of hesitation to total courage. And I know often we like to think that the opposite of courage is fear. We like to think that the opponent to courage is fear. But I want to challenge that thinking. I want to I propose that the, the actual proponent to courage is hesitation. Because hesitation freezes us. Hesitation causes us to be in an immovable state. It makes us start to question ourselves and our own ability. It makes us start to question God and his ability. And ultimately, our hesitation delays our transformation. Our hesitation delays our transformation. God has a promise for us. He wants to do a good work in and through us, but our hesitation holds us back. From the miracle that God has for us, it holds us back. So let's look back to the story of Joshua. They have instruction from God to let the priest go first with the Ark of the Covenant. This means God is going first. The people are following. And we pick up in Joshua 3.15. says, it was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing at its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge. I want to stop right there for just a second. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark, of the, uh, ark touched the water at the river's edge, this means the priests went full sin. Here's what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say, uh, which might be the way that I would approach this, that the priests thought about it for a second. They looked at each other like, are we sure we're going to do this? We're going to go. And then they went in. It doesn't say that, that they hesitated and, and then they counted to three and then they stepped. It doesn't say that they went back to Joshua like, Joshua, are you sure, man? Like, this is heavy. We're to go in that deep river. Uh, 
if we lose this ark 120 feet down, who's going to go get that? This thing, I don't know, Josh. No, it says that they stepped right in. They went full sin. They were strong and they were courageous right into the water. And look what happens next. This is fascinating because it shows us God knows the future. He already knew what the priests were going to do. The Bible goes on to say in verse 16, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. Began breaking up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is Adam, which is roughly 19 miles from where they stood. 19 miles, don't miss this. This isn't some small geographical detail. The water piled upstream at a town called Adam. 19 miles away from where they stood. They didn't see the miracle. Maybe we're not seeing it yet. God had already been working upstream in their lives, preparing a way. He piled the water up before they ever even stepped out in faith. Otherwise, there would have been quite a wait for the water to slow down over 19 miles. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say. It says that it instantly cleared. It means God was already working upstream, and he's already working upstream in our lives as well. Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. How do I know? How do I know that long before you face a problem, God already has a plan? Because in John 16, he tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He knew about the coronavirus. He knew that we'd be facing. He knew that your kids might not be able to go back to school, that they might have to do distance learning. He knew about your financial situation. Long before we even faced it, God knew about it. But listen to this. He says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. I knew about it and I've already come, overcome it. He's already preparing the way. He knows what obstacles and river you're up against. He's ahead of your financial struggle. He's ahead of your health struggle, your family struggle, your doubt, your pain, your frustration, your discouragement. He's working upstream. We just can't see it yet. And for some of us, for some of us, the blessing is already on the way. You're just not able to see it. He's already held up the river, but right now it looks the same. He just wants to see us take that step of faith and cross over into his promises today with courage and without hesitation. We just have to jump in, full sin, into the impassable obstacle. God made a way. God will make a way, and he made a way for the Israelites. The priests stood in the middle of that river with the ark, God's presence, until every single one of his people was on dry ground. This is one to three million people crossing. He stood in the middle of the water, backing up for 19 miles until every single one of his people was on dry ground. The same God that would leave the 99 to find the one is the same God that will stand in the middle of the river until every single last one of the millions is on dry ground. That's just who our God is. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper, and all throughout this book, that has never changed. He's the God that would take you out to bring you in. He's the God that'll stand in the middle of the impassable to show you that he's the God of the impossible. He's the God that will make a way when there is no way. For the Israelites, he was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. For Noah, he made the way out of a worldwide flood through boat to rescue him and his family. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he made a way by standing in the fire. For Daniel, he made the way out of a lion's den. For Joseph, a way out of prison. For Jonah, the way out of a belly of a whale. For Ruth, a way through a family and a future. For David, the way past a giant. 
He was a waymaker then and he's still a waymaker now at this very church. For Joel back there, he made a way when he couldn't afford college payments and came through as the God of provision to him. For Travis here, he made a way when he was up against a diagnosis of skin cancer through total healing, total healing of the cancer. For Stacy here, you already heard Stacy's story earlier. He made a way when he had a broken family, broken relationship with his kids by providing a restored relationship with his kids, by providing a new wife in his life a new future. For Janeth here, he made a way with a new move to Vegas when she didn't have the resources, when she didn't have the community, by providing her a job, by providing her a church community and friends. He gave her a new path. For Jason here, he made a way out of an alcohol addiction that almost took his life. And now is 14, year, or 14 months sober. He gave him a brand new community. God made a way. He made a way for a punk college kid like me and he turned him into a pastor. He can make a way for me. He can make a way for you. Our God is a way maker. Are you with me, church? Has he made a way for you? For some of us, we need to be reminded of that and hold on to that truth when we're back in the wilderness. I think this is where we can learn a lesson from Cosette to learn to have such wild faith that we can learn to find the strength and find the courage of trusting God's promise in every impassable situation, that he will catch us, that he's got us. We don't have to stand hesitant at the water's edge anymore. We can pick up our head and take a jump of faith into every impassable situation. When we look at the impassable, we know that we have a God of the impossible and we find our strength in his promise and we jump in with courage and we just keep getting better at that and more confident. We learn to go full sin into God's promise, not the impassable, into God's promise. In the story of the Israelites' journey, it was no coincidence that the leader to replace Moses would have the name Joshua. Did you know that the names Joshua and Jesus are both translated from the same Greek word, Yeshua? What was this? This was a foreshadowing by God that Moses, who brought the people the law, could get them all the way to the doorstep of the promised land, but could not take them in. A picture that the law could serve them, but it would not save them. Yeshua, Joshua would be the leader to take them into the promised land. Yeshua, Jesus would be the leader that ultimately will take us into eternal life with Jesus. God's ultimate promise, not our own works and doing. Our own works, they can serve us, but they cannot save us. And for some of you today, you've been out in the wilderness for a long, long time. You found yourself in impossible situation after impossible situation and time and time again up against an impassable river. And until today, you didn't even know there was another side. I wanna help you get to that other side. I wanna introduce you to the God that will stand in the middle of the impassable. But here's what you have to do. First, you have to find your strength in God's promise. You have to know that he loves you by the fulfillment of his promise to send his one and only son. And his son Jesus lived a perfect and blameless life and died a death on a cross that he did not deserve to pay the price for our sins. But three days later, he rose again. The stone to that grave rolled away, rolling away our guilt and shame and his death and resurrection saved us. And all it takes is just one jump of courage, just one step. Some of you, you're at the edge of the river right now. You're at the edge and you're ready to take a step out of the wilderness and into God's promise. And I wanna tell you, you don't have to stand hesitant anymore. It's one step of faith. It might look scary, but God's already in the water. 
He's got you. You can jump. If you're ready to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life, all you have to do is just pray this prayer after me. Just say, God, I love you. I love you, God. I believe in you. I believe in your promises. I believe you went first and that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I believe he paid the price for my sins, making a way for me. Please forgive me. I surrender my life to you. Take me just the way I am. And if you prayed that prayer today, if that's your prayer, if you just shoot your hand in the air for me, whether you're online, you're at home, you're at one of our locations, you're in a prison facility, you're right here in this very room, if you just shoot your hand up in the air, just making it all the more real to you, a physical action that just shows how real that is to you. You're saying, God, take my life. Thank you. Hands going up all over this room. God, I know hands are going up. Thank you. God, you're a good God. We thank you for the, the promise. We thank you for the strength that we can find in your promise. We thank you for giving us the courage and giving these hands the courage to jump in towards you. And God, as we face Monday, as we face Tuesday, as we face Wednesday, we don't know what impassable obstacles we're up against, but give us the courage to jump in, to go full send every time, Father, knowing you're already in the water, knowing you've got us. We love you. We lift it all up to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's give it up for those that made decisions to follow Jesus this weekend. And I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, to name him the leader and forgiver of your life, we have a tool around here. It's called uh, the How to Follow Jesus Guide. And what it is, is you're gonna have questions. This is a brand new journey for you and you're gonna want to have those questions answered. And this is just an easy way to get started, to answer those questions. All you have to do is go to central.family. Just put central.family in your web browser and you'll be able to download that guide by clicking the How I Made a Decision to Follow Jesus clicking the quick link, I made a decision to follow Jesus. But our team is here for you, our pastors and ministry leaders, we're here for you in this new walk. And at this time, we're gonna go ahead and turn it over to our location pastors. So let's give it up really big for them.